Good morning, family. Happy Sunday. Welcome to a brand new series. Praise God, it's a girl. You know, we've been looking forward to doing this series together for some time. Even last year, we're looking at opportunities for us as a, as a church community to speak into some of these issues, some very key discussions that are happening in our nation. And we really want to be part of that, give some biblical uh, uh, input uh, to what, what is a, a very necessary um, place for us to be engaging in. You know, in many cultures, including my own, when a child is born, the parents are excited about this child. And when the child turns out to be a boy, the excitement is that much more. This is a sad reality. It shouldn't be that way. It should be that whether this child is a boy or a girl, the parents and the community at large is equally as excited. I am blessed to have three children of my own. You know, when my daughter was born, my firstborn, uh, we knew beforehand that it was going to be a girl. I was filled with so much pride. I was filled with so much love. And when she was born and I got to meet her, that love just grew more and more. There was never an inch of me that wished that she was something other than what she is. She's blossoming into a beautiful, beautiful uh, flower. And I'm, and I'm loving watching her grow and own her space. I, uh, we had a, a, a second born who was, who was a little boy uh, and recently, two months ago, we were blessed with another baby girl. This time around, we chose not to know the gender uh, of the child before she was born. Uh, and when she was born and, and, and under very special circumstances, I'll tell you a little bit more about that in another occasion. But um, uh, my, my, my uh, daughter, my two-month-old daughter, her name is Nete. She was born in the backseat of our car. It was very, very dramatic. We didn't make it to the hospital. The Lord was with us and, and, um, and a whole bunch of graces uh, that happened in that moment. Now, I'll give you the story another time. But, but when she was born and I got to be part of delivering her and bringing her into the world, I was so panicked, I forgot to even check with the, 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 the sex of this child. I was just so happy that she was here with us. Um, and uh, when, when the midwife uh, arrived and came to help us out, she cut the umbilical cord, she was cleaning her up and measuring her. Only then it occurred to us, oh, wait, is it a boy or a girl? And uh, we, uh, we, we, we went to meet her properly for the first time, and just that refrain uh, came out of me. Praise God, it's a girl. I was delighted to be the father to a beautiful young girl yet again. We want to be part of redeeming this narrative. That's why we named the series, Praise God, It's a Girl. Because the, the, the narrative uh, at, at this point, up until this point at least, has been, uh, it's a girl, wish it was a boy, in, in, in many of our cultures at least. We want to live in a society where when a girl child is born, we celebrate we stop the bus, we run in the streets, we throw a party, and we shout, 
Praise God, it's a girl. I wish there was liberty outside of the restrictions of the, 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 the COVID-19 and lockdowns for me to be able to celebrate with my family and my friends and run down the street and throw a party. I absolutely would have because I was thrilled and delighted and I echoed to God, praise God, thank you for blessing me with a girl. I am proud to be a father of two two girls. I want us to start this series uh, by looking in the book of John chapter 8. This is going to be a series that is addressing some very real issues. And some of those issues are, are, are very painful and difficult for us to face head on. What I'm going to ask of you is to stay with us. Stay with me through the duration of this sermon. Stay with me as we, as we work through these scriptures. And won't you stay with us through the duration of the series. Have conversations, debate, disagree with us, engage, but, but stay, stay with us. And let's grapple through these things and find the ways that God is leading us to be able to rectify a system that was not God's design. It was not God's heart for women to feel less than, to feel less valued, to feel less prioritized, to, 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 to feel oppressed uh, and victimized in, the, in, in, our, in our communities and in our nation. We, when I read the Bible, there's, there's multiple directions uh, that, that I can take. There's one particular tool that I want to give to you today, and that's, a, that's called the, the SOAP method of, of reading the Bible, S-O-A-P. And uh, that SOAP stands for scripture, which means you know, reading, reading the word, um, making observations about what we're reading in the word, asking questions. It's always it's important for us to ask questions, ask as many questions as possible, ask varied questions. There are no silly questions when it comes to making observations in the scriptures. And then uh, the P is for prayer. So let's, let's prayerfully consider what the scriptures are requiring of us and how we may implement the things that we have just read. So the SOAP method, scripture, read the scriptures, make the observations, ask questions, and then we pray. And I encourage you to use that method as, we, as you engage in scripture. And I want to follow that as we are engaging together um, this morning. So uh, if you have found your way to the book of John chapter 8, I, I am going to read John chapter 8 uh, verse 1 to 12. This is the story um, about the woman caught in adultery. So verse 1, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. This is after he had had an, an, um, an, 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 an he'd been teaching in, 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 the, in, in this context. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's uh, the time of the feast and, he, and he, he'd retired to the Mount of Olives. He comes back the following day and that's where um, we catch him. Now, early in the morning, he came again into the temple and all the people came to him and sat down and, and he taught them. Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? This they said, testing him. 
that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing in the midst. And when Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in the darkness, but have the light of life. There's so much wealth, so much depth in this short passage of Scripture. In a very short interaction, Jesus was doing so much. In a very short interaction, the men that we read about in this scripture were revealing so much. In a very short interaction, the experience and the reality that this woman was living in was exposed so much. When we delve into the scriptures and make our observations about what we're seeing here, we're seeing, we're seeing that the context of this is a feast. So there's, been, there's a feast, there's revelry, there's partying, there's drinking and, and eating. And in the midst of that, uh, the, this, this, uh, this woman uh, is caught in the act of adultery. And, uh, and uh, they, they bring her to Jesus and they accuse her before Jesus. They, 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 they um, uh, uh, are ready to stone her They're, because that's what the law required of people who are caught in the act of adultery, that they would be stoned to death. And they bring her to him to see what he's going to say. What do you, what do you say, Jesus? Uh, we know what the law says. We know what Moses says. But what do you say? Uh, and, and, uh, and Jesus has this interaction with them, which ends up in this woman's life actually being saved. Uh, they ended up not being able to stone her because they were convicted by the words of, of Jesus. So I want us to look at this story systematically in three scenes. Scene one, an entanglement at the feast. Dun, dun, dun. This woman is discovered. It's very interesting, by the way, and we'll touch on it as we keep going, that the, the, this portion of scripture is called, you know, an adulterous, uh, over here it's called the adulterous face is the light of the world. In some scriptures, it's called a woman caught in the act of adultery. Um, no, no mention about uh, anybody else. It seems she had achieved the very impressive feat of committing adultery by herself. Of course, I joke. There is very clearly a second party involved, but this person somehow manages to avoid the limelight. And I want us to look at that. Because one of the questions I was asking about the scriptures, remember we spoke about soap, one of the things is asking questions. One of the first questions that comes to my mind when I read the stories, hang on. Where, where, where is the man in the story? Where, where is the man? Why, why is the woman caught by herself, punished by herself, facing the music by herself, all the judgment? 
Where, where is the man in, in, in the story? Of course, there are a number of other questions um, that, that, I, that I ask about the scriptures. Things like, what, what, is, what is the, 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 the response of, of, of or the way that these men treat this woman? How, what does it reveal about them? The way that Jesus responds, what does it reveal about him? What is Jesus' attitude towards men? What is Jesus' attitude towards women? I ask myself all of these questions as I'm navigating through, through the, script, the scriptures. Those questions are many more, by the way, many, many more. I, um, I ask as many questions as I can. And by the way, when you're asking questions, uh, there are some questions that you ask that you may not get an answer to. And that's okay. The primary point of asking the questions is not necessarily to walk away with an answer. The point of asking the questions is to train your thinking to spot things in scripture that you may not have been able to see before. So you may ask a question about, I, mean, I want to give you an example of why there are no silly, silly um, questions. I wonder what kind of, what color clothing they were wearing at this point as they were interacting. Now, that probably has nothing to do with anything, but I've now asked the question. And asking the question means that I'm going to try and find answers, right? So I'm going to dig into the scriptures. I'm going to do a little bit of research. I'm going to see if I can find um, the answers, see if anybody else has asked these questions, etc. And to try and find out what it is that they were wearing, I might try and look at the, 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 the temperature um, of that time of year. I'll look at the climate of the area. I'll look at the context of where this story was and what they were doing. It was a, it was a, a temple feast. And so what does that mean? Did that mean they had to wear certain things? Um, and, and, and I'll look at all of those things and I'll try and combine and I'll see, okay, if, if you're a priest, you probably had to wear this. If you, and this was likely, in the, this, it seems like it was sometime in the morning. So, okay, so th therefore, uh, would that have changed what they were wearing, etc. Now, after doing all of that, I am likely to arrive at the point where I can't answer that question. I can't answer that question definitely, definitively about what they were wearing. The point was never to, not necessarily to answer the, that question because look at the depth and the riches that I've gained while trying to answer that question. I know a lot more about, about the, the, the different feasts. I know a lot more about the climate. I know a lot more about the priests. I know a lot more about the... I've got a kind of a visual sense of, of what this looks like. The story is a, is a lot richer for me now. And so in attempting to answer some of these questions, I've, I've mined out some of the depth of these scriptures, and, and, and then I, if I track that, I, that, it leads me to certain t levels of, of revelation. So anyway, that was a bit of a, a sidebar. Let's look at this, this story from the perspective of this woman, right? So she's caught, she's guilty, there's no denying it. She's dragged through the streets She's brought before Jesus in, in the crowd because he was busy teaching a crowd. She's thrown into the middle of them. She's publicly accused and shamed of her sin. How must she have been feeling? This woman had no voice. She knew she had no voice. In fact, the culture told her she had no voice. In, in, this, in this culture that we're reading about, Women were not even educated. They couldn't engage with, with the scriptures. They had to rely on, on, a, on a man for that. And so uh, the, they, 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 they couldn't even testify in court. The, the, the voice and the testimony of a woman was meaningless. 
And so she had grown up in a society that had reinforced the fact that she had no voice. And so she finds herself in a, in a situation where a voice is required, but she has no voice. And if she has no voice, then she's going to die because these men are going to decide her fate for her and they are going to kill her. In fact, it's not far-fetched to think that some of them would have been already walking around with the stones in their hand that they were going to throw at her and stone her until she dies. So she, she must have been feeling all manner of fear, maybe even just accepting that her end is near, saying her last prayers, maybe thinking about her loved ones, thinking about her life and some of the mistakes and some of the joys of her life and reflecting. I don't know, but definitely she would have been recognizing that, man, this, this for me is it. This for me is the end because I cannot defend myself. I, I wonder if you have ever felt the way that this woman felt. Maybe not quite to that extent. Maybe some of you can identify with that sense of impending death. But maybe some of you can identify with that sense of, of being in a system that you felt like was rigged against you. And I want to encourage you as we reflect. We've got a comment section on this YouTube channel, chat section. Maybe post some, some reflections on there. We don't have time for, for, for long reflections, but if, you, if there are things that are immediately popping up, that's something that you can share with us and pop up and pop on there. And even some questions that are coming up as we are, as we are working through these scriptures, I know that they're going to touch some sensitive areas. We're not going to be able to answer these questions in the time that we have together this morning, but post the questions and take the questions to your connect groups and discuss them. And if we can't find resolutions there, your connect leaders can always engage with us and we can see uh, how, to find, how to find resolution. But have you found yourself in those situations, those systems that you felt like were rigged against you? Maybe for you it was in the workplace. Perhaps you found yourself in a disciplinary hearing that, and, and, and likely you were, maybe you were in the wrong. Let's assume that you were in the wrong, but you knew that because of the way the system is rigged, you have no voice. And so you, it's difficult for you to, to, to represent yourself and you almost just have to accept whatever fate is going to be meted out for you. Have you, have you ever had that experience? Friends, this is a good reflection for men and women, but I, I want us to reflect on this specifically because I want us to appreciate that this is what our women feel like every single day in this country. That there is a system and the system is rigged against them. You know, my wife, Kulu, tells me all the time that she feels it in the workplace, that, that the workplace is a, is a system designed or designed by men for men and that it, there's very little place for a woman. The, the silent communication is almost that for a woman to be able to succeed in that space, she has to be a man, talk like a man, act like a man, think like a man, feel like a man, not be a woman. And, 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 um, and that she has to forfeit certain things, things that men don't have to forfeit, things like marriage and family, raising children, 
or other um, uh, 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 luxuries that men might, might enjoy. I'm aware, and I know you are too, of other uh, 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 even sporting coats where, uh, man, it's, it's, it's brutal because for a woman to consistently perform at the same level as a woman, uh, as a man, uh, that, that, that she has to give up a lot. Where you have men who are married with children and, and they proceed with their lives and you have these women who have to forego a lot of that, assuming that that's what they want. They have to forego a lot of that in order to be able to maintain their championship status. All right, scene two. So this woman was brought in, thrown into the middle of the crowd, accused. Scene two, Jesus talks to the men. These men have had a lot to say, right? So they, they, they've, they've accused this woman. They've uh, thrown some, some, some questions at Jesus. And the scriptures tell us that, in fact, Jesus took a while to respond. He didn't initially respond. And, and, um, and it's, 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 in this, it's in this time that I'm asking myself those questions of where, where was this guy? Where was this man that she was caught with? Um, why didn't Jesus call out this guy? Why didn't he, he respond to them and say, but okay, but where's the person that she, was, that she was committing adultery with? Because the law actually says that both of them ought to be stoned to death. So where, where's this other party? And... and, and um, I, I have to recognize, now I can't answer all the questions, but I have to recognize that Jesus, in his response, even though he doesn't specifically ask after this guy, he's talking to the missing man. He, he's talking to all men. He, he, he's fixing a system. And part of the answer to why he didn't specifically go after this one guy is that it would have been a departure from the issue. He, he, he was interested in the justice of, of, of the situation that this woman would receive, that, that this man would be, would be judged in, 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 in an equal sense with this woman. But to specifically go after that would have been a departure uh, from, from the issue and it would have been a distraction. What was the issue? The issue is the heart of men. That's what Jesus was going after. And in speaking to the men who were in the room, he's addressing the missing man. Isn't it interesting, saints, that we, we know this refrain. We say it a lot in our society, especially within the context of these conversations around gender-based violence, that everybody knows a rape victim. Everybody knows someone who was raped, myself included. But nobody seems to know a rapist. Why, why is it that we have the system that we refer to as the boys' club, that is so dedicated to protecting the perpetrator. And we see it coming through right here, that there are two people who are guilty, two people who are found, but there is one who is brought to book. There is one who is brought supposedly to justice and the other is protected. It's about time that we as men call out the missing man. That unknown rapist, that unknown perpetrator, that unknown friend of ours with, with, uh, with a particular view of women, with, with, with objectifying jokes, with those, with those private images and, 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 and messages that are sent in, 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 our, in our WhatsApp groups. It's about time that we call out that missing man.
I want to quickly reflect on, on this test that these guys were, were putting before Jesus. The word or, or the law of Moses say we should stone this woman. But what is your view? I want to quickly reflect on the point. What were they trying to achieve? I see two things here. One, obviously, they're testing Jesus, and it says right there in the scriptures. The, the reason they're testing him, right, is, is because they know that if they can trip him up, if, if they can get Jesus to go in a, different, in a different direction to the law, then they can prove that he doesn't hold the law to a high regard and he doesn't deserve to be called a teacher of the law. But they also know that if they can get him to adhere to the law, they, they can show that he is inconsistent in his own message of love and mercy and righteousness and all that. So they're trying to find a way to, to, trip, to trip Jesus up in this. And Jesus' response is, is just brilliant. The second thing I think that they're doing here is, is achieving the purpose of shame, shaming this woman. It's the perp perpetuating of a system. See, and the system is that the woman is below and the man is on top. And, and the person who's on top is always dedicated to maintaining that system. And if somebody rattles the cage, then to shame them is to put them back in their place so that we can maintain the system. That's why the man wasn't put on trial. The woman was put on, was, was, was put on trial because the system was dedicated to the man being able to do what he, is, he wants to do and get away with it. Now, I'm pointing these things out, saints, not to be critical of the Bible because the Bible is recording things that happen. doesn't mean that God is affirming these things. In fact, in order to look at the heart of God, we need to look at the response of Jesus. If we read the whole Bible, we can see God's progressive response in how he's treating society and how he's bringing uh, 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 people to a better standard. But also when we look at how Jesus interacted with women, how he responded in this very situation, we can see what he was redeeming. He was redeeming the idea that a man is beyond reproach and that a woman has no voice. What was the silence about? These guys are talking to him. They, they, they are talking about this woman. They're engaging him. They're asking him questions. They're expecting a response from him. And Jesus remains silent. What was this about? In fact, the Bible tells us that he was silent and he stoops down on the floor and he begins to, to write on the floor with his finger. I can't tell you the exact reasons why. I can only look into these scriptures and reflect. And, and, and one of the things that we definitely see is that you know, silence invites reflection. Silence invites us to reflect. Have you ever tried to pick a fight with somebody who just wasn't interested in fighting with you? It's frustrating, isn't it? But it does cause you to reflect on your own agenda, your own shortcomings, your own approach, right? It creates the room for that engagement to happen because if we quickly get into a turnaround of words, what happens? We, we quickly lose the plot. We, we see this every day. Try engaging in an important issue on social media. Tempers quickly flare and we, people are, are saying things. Voices are, dry, are, dry, are drowned out. And very quickly, we've lost the plot. Very quickly, we've moved away from the very important core issue because we did not give ourselves that time 
to reflect. Other thing that Jesus does is he stoops down and he begins to write. Now, I love uh, St. Augustine's uh, view on this, that, that he reminds us that, um, that the, of the time, see, the scripture tells us that Jesus wrote on the ground with his finger. He reminds us of the time that God wrote the law for Moses on tablets with his finger. And, and his suggestion is that Jesus is beckoning back to that time when God, remember Jesus, he's God. So, so he's beckoning to that time when God wrote the, the law. He, so he's basically saying that Jesus was taking the position of being the ultimate legislator, the, the giver of the law, the authority. So they were coming to him, they're testing him with the law. And in his position, he is saying, I am the law. I gave the law. I know justice. You cannot test me with justice because I gave it to you. And so he's taking that position. Without words, he's taking on that position of being the giver of the law and the embodiment of justice. Scene three, Jesus talks to the woman. This whole time, the woman has not, being, has not been addressed. This whole time, her trial has been carrying on. She has been silent. She, she, uh, she, she, all of these things are happening to her. And so these men, when they're talking, they're talking about her to Jesus. She has not been asked for her side of the, of, of the conversation, her, her perspective. She has not been asked to defend anything. The only thing she has been asked to do is stand there while justice so-called justice or judgment is being delivered. But once Jesus has dealt with the sick hearts of these men, once Jesus has exposed the system for what it is and it has condemned them to their hearts, so much so that they could not, no longer stand in the presence of Jesus and this woman and they left each one of them throwing down their rocks and walking out. The Bible tells us started, starting from the eldest to the youngest, they all left because all of them recognized what Jesus was saying. He was saying, it's okay if you want to stone this woman, but you have to join her. Whatever punishment you want to meet for her is for you also. Whatever way you view her is for you also. There is no separation. She's not lower than you. She's not more inferior than you. She, she, she actually has a voice. And in fact, if she has no voice, neither do you. And so if you want to have a voice, man, if you want to have a voice, the woman must have a voice. If you want to be valued, man, the woman must be valued. If you want to matter, man, the woman must matter. We cannot have a society and a culture that consistently victimizes and oppresses women simply for the benefit of whoever is on top. We can no longer tolerate it. Jesus showed us how to do it, expose the system, challenge the oppressors. And once he had done that and they had all left and he was left with this woman, he speaks to her. Where are your oppressors? Have they all gone? Do none of them condemn you? And finally she gets to speak. None of them, my Lord. And he says to her, neither do I condemn you. Jesus addressed these men in the crowd the, their issues he addressed in the crowd because their issues were a system 
when he was addressing them, he was addressing a system and, the, and, he, and, and a system requires public address. But he addresses her and her sin privately, apart from her accusers. So he doesn't excuse her. He doesn't say that she's not guilty. He simply says that the system with which you're approaching this is, a, is an unfair system. And so he addresses her separately. Go and, and sin no more. It's important that he does this because these men came to Jesus. They were right in their thinking, but they had bias. And, 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 they, and they, their bias was against this woman. And then they went to Jesus to affirm that bias. Don't we do that sometimes, saints? Don't we find that we carry our own societal and cultural biases? That we then try and go to the Bible to affirm, we go to Jesus to affirm, and, and Lord help us if we should find a scripture that seems to affirm our biases, then we can never be separated from it. And so Jesus refused to validate their bias. He refused for them to, to be able to go away and say, well, Jesus agrees with us. Jesus holds this view because then we can never see the liberation of woman from the oppression of a man. Why? Because God agrees with us. God says the man is the head. God says the woman ought to submit. We approach those scriptures with a lack of understanding because we've already decided what those scriptures mean. And we use those scriptures to oppress and it's wrong. And if we do that, then we ought to repent. I'm calling the hearts of men to repent this morning. Repent. Jesus doesn't excuse her because she's a woman. He treats her like a person. Let's go and sin no more. Because the only hope for mankind, only hope for mankind, is for us to recognize our sin and repent. And Jesus comes and he does a restorative work in us. And he gives us a system that is a kingdom system that is not perverted by culture. It is a system of God, which is that he created them, man and woman. He created them equal. He created them in his own image. Thank you for taking this time to engage with us this morning. I hope this leads to more conversation in your family groups, in your relationships, in your connect groups. Stay with us. Engage as we continue to dissect this most important conversation. I look forward to um, engaging with everybody and, and, and being on the receiving end um, as, as, as we receive impartation and teaching next week. Amen. Thank you, Loreco, for that amazing word. Um, if you have been sitting during the service and you've been wrestling with how far you are from God, you've listened to the sermon and you realize that yes there are systems and yes there are laws that you in yourself cannot uphold there are things that are required of you that you fail to uphold you're recognizing that god i'm so far from you god i i i'm trying my best to reach you but i'm far from you if that is you i'd like to invite you right now to to turn from your ways and to commit your life to god to repent before Him and receive from Him. I had started off this service opening with Romans 8, which tells us that nothing, absolutely nothing can separate us from the love of God, even our own mistakes, even our own sin. 
So if you're feeling right now that you need to commit your life to God, I'd like you to repeat this prayer after me. Heavenly Father, I recognize that I am far from you, that because of my sin, I am in separation from you. But Father, I recognize that you have sent your one and only Son to die for me on the cross, to reconcile us in relationship. And today, Lord, I repent for the way that I've been living. I repent for the sins that I've committed. And today, I choose to follow you. Lord, teach me to be obedient, to serve and love you for the rest of my life. In your name we pray. Amen. If you just did that prayer with me, I'd like to ask you one more thing. There will be a number that will appear on the screen, and I'd like to ask you to contact this number. We'd love to get to know you, to journey with you as you walk out your faith in Christ. If you have any prayer requests or counseling requests, you could use the same number to reach out to us. For the rest of you, I pray that you'll have an amazing week ahead, that you'll have God's favor upon your life and that you'll see His blessings in and through your week.